Welcome fellow horror hounds and welcome to the latest episode of Talk and Stalk, your unholy home for horror. I'm your host as always, Barry, and today's podcast is going to be devoted to a slasher movie released during the Golden Age, released in 82, and that is The Dawn That Dripped Blood, its alternate title of course being Pranks. Now, as I said, this film was released in 82. This was released during the Golden Age. This is a film that was clearly following in the footsteps of the likes of Halloween and Friday the 13th and Terror Train, My Bloody Valentine. The list goes on and on. Now, I'm just going to get right off the bat here. This is by no means one of the best slasher films from the Golden Age. By no means. But it's also not one of the worst either. Um, I think this is one that really doesn't get talked about that much. Um, It is actually quite notable for actually, upon release in the UK, this was a video nasty. Um, This was actually banned. And I think that's probably down to a certain murder, a certain death scene in this film that I will be coming to quite shortly. Um, but yeah, this is a film that I used to actually own on DVD, and yeah, you'd watch it now, and it's it's incredibly tame to today's standards, certainly. But of course, times were, were very different back then. Um, the plot is about as basic as it gets. Four, four teens and that are actually staying behind. Um, a dormitory uh, is actually closing, so they're basically having to get rid of all the desks and get rid of all the beds. And they've basically got a couple of weeks to clean it up and get rid of everything. And they're being stalked and bumped off one by one. Now, this film is actually quite notable for being the movie debut of Daphne Zuniga, who actually starred in another slasher movie released the very next year, uh, that being The Initiation. And she also went on to star in what is one of my favourite spoof films, Spaceballs, directed by Mel Brooks, uh, released in 1987. But this was actually her first film. Now, admittedly, she's not in the film for very long. Um, She only probably has about three or four minutes or so of screen time. Uh, She does perfectly fine with the screen time that she has. Um, It's quite funny, actually, because... (laughs) This film goes, this film basically wastes no time in getting to the kills. Uh, Within the first like five to ten minutes of this movie, I believe there's actually four deaths. There is actually one death at the beginning of this film that's kind of like, I I don't quite understand what bearing it has on the plot whatsoever. There's just a guy running presumably for his life and he hides and he gets killed. And we see kind of a, it's not a bad little gore effect actually. Basically his hand, his finger kind of gets split in two. Um, And then, of course, we get the title sequence. Um, Now, the characters in this film, um, there's no one that's actually particularly likeable, but there's no one that's unlikable either. It's just kind of, they're there. Um, The acting isn't bad, um, but it's not, like, great either. It's just the characters in this film are ultimately pretty unmemorable. In all honesty, um, this is a very darkly lit film as well. Uh, there's very little in the way of lighting. And uh, I believe it was actually filmed primarily on the UCLA campus um, in around the school building. And uh, the cinematography was actually completed using the university's equipment. And it was basically shot, I think, primarily on 16mm film. Obviously giving it that very low budget uh, look. But I think it had to be like 
blown up to like 35 mil, uh, millimeters and uh, I think it was actually shot over the Christmas vacation as well they basically did all of the shooting during the course of the weekends and that um, I'm not sure but I, I kind of get the feeling that the title of the film is probably a play on the house that dripped blood which of course was a 1971 anthology one of my favorite amicus horror movies um, so yeah, in this movie, uh, so they're basically being bumped off, you know, and uh, one by one. Uh, there's a lot of skulking around. I quite like the environment to this film, actually. That's one thing I will say. I do quite like the setting to this film, this abandoned dorm. Um, you know, I think it does make some good use um, of its setting. Um, but as I said, ultimately, the characters in this film, there's no one that really stands out. We get this creepy guy... Uh, that we're introduced to, you know, quite early on in the film, that's clearly the suspect. The movie's pointing the fingers towards him. Um, anyone, I don't think you really probably have to be Sherlock Holmes to probably realise that this guy's probably one big red herring. Um, but he's described as being the weirdo with the frizzy hair and that, and there's actually a scene where he's rummaging through the bins and that, and he shouldn't even be on the campus anymore. He should have left, so everyone's like, you know, why the hell is he still here? And uh, there's actually a scene in the film where it's kind of, I suppose, it's kind of a jump sequence or whatever. Uh, we actually see him staring outside the window. Um, you know, again, kind of like pointing to the fact that this guy, this guy is the killer. Now, Daphne Zuniga, uh, her parents, again, had really kind of like they show up just to basically get killed. And I do believe uh, her father's death. I mean, it kind of, you know, she's going to get killed pretty much from the get go. The moment she says that uh, she's going to leave her, I think it's her nan, her grandma's ill and she's leaving the campus and that basically, yeah, you know, she's going to get bumped off. Uh, but her dad actually gets killed um, with a spiked baseball bat, which is a weapon you don't really see too often in these kind of movies and that. He was using a baseball bat long before Negan from The Walking Dead. And... Um, yeah, you know, he gets bashed quite a few times in the like the side of the face with the bat and that. Um, I believe that might have actually been one of the sequences that was actually kind of trimmed down, cut down a bit uh, when it was released in the UK. I believe there was probably a lot less hits because he does get hit quite a few times. And there's a very, with some of the death scenes in this film, we get a very, very psycho-esque to, to kind of accompany um, each kill. And what you do, actually, because... Even though we kind of get the the, the fact of uh, the movie's very much pointing its finger at this guy, we don't see the killer. You see the feet wearing trainers, you see the hands, but you never actually get a look at the killer. Uh, which is going to bring me on to a point a little later, actually. Um, and her mother, Daphne Zieger's mother, actually gets garroted. Um, I'm not quite sure how it works through the <laughs> thing and that. But yeah, she actually gets garroted. That whole kind of like killer in the back seat moment uh which i believe i may be wrong here halloween was the first time i ever saw that in a horror movie um annie's death great moment great sequence where michael Myers pops up out of the back seat and that so she gets garroted and then daphne zaniga comes and she has like what is probably one of the most pathetic faints i've ever seen in a movie uh she just sees her garroted mum and i mean who knows you know a lot of us probably would faint but she just literally faints uh, basically just handing herself to the killer on a silver platter. And the killer then drives over her. So she gets crushed and then quickly bums her in the boot. And he's already killed like four people uh, during the film at this point. 
Um, and uh, there's a sequence later on in the film. Now, this is this is the death scene. Uh, the, the guy shows up. I'm not sure if he's the caretaker or something. And he's missing his drill. He can't find his drill anywhere. And you, you realise, you, you kind of wonder straight away that kind of, yeah, this drill's probably going to get used. And it does. In probably the standout murder sequence of the film. Um, it's pretty it's pretty hardcore, you know. A few years, obviously, after Abel Ferreira's Driller Killer, released in 79. Um, it's a pretty it's pretty brutal death. Now, I've seen the, the uncut version of this film. Um, as I said, I used to own it on DVD, but I believe that was a cut version. So he basically gets drilled in, you know, the back of the head. And um, again, certainly at that point, a drill wasn't something that you would actually see too often um, in these in these kind of movies. Um, there's also another death involving one of the girls who's actually uh, put in um, the boiler. Uh, I believe it's a boiler. Oh, she's basically boiled. She's boiled alive. I was kind of half expecting her to kind of jump out and do that uh, Kenneth Williams fry in tonight at the end of Carry On Screaming. Uh, but yeah, she's actually put in there and that, you know, boiled alive because she's actually still alive while she's like, you know, put in there. Um, and this gets me kind of onto like the kid. The killer reveal in this film, um, I suppose it's kind of a twist and that. Um, whenever we see the killer, the killer's actually wearing black. Whenever you see the killer's arms, he's wearing black. But the guy, I think for the majority of the film, or certainly in the final act, he's wearing blue. So I don't know if he like... Again, it's probably just a continuity thing. At the end of the day, every film has issues and all that. So I, I don't know if he was putting a black top on top of what he was wearing to commit the kills or, or whatever. But obviously, the, re the reveal of the film turns out it's him. He's doing it because he's actually in love with the final girl in this film. Uh, he's eliminating any kind of competition, anyone that's kind of getting in the way. And I don't know, the things you do for love, hey? Um, so, yeah. That's that's the kind of big reveal. I do feel like the the whole revelation and the final act of this film just go on for a little bit too long. It does feel like it's a little bit drawn out. It's the last fifteen minutes of the movie in that when we actually get the killer reveal. So the last fifteen minutes we kind of get that that whole kind of cat and mouse, which is very much a staple um, of the slasher genre. And this is one of them rare slasher films as well, where the killer. Much like The Intruder, which came out a few years later, released in 89, the killer is presumably going to get away with this scot-free. Um, there's actually a guy that's introduced early on in the film that is basically perving over this main woman. He's really taken a fancy to her. And he actually, um, I mean, he's certainly got more willpower than me. He's basically, uh, he turns down sex from his missus and decides to go out to this dorm. And... Uh, he shows up. I suppose some people could probably see him as a suspect. I don't know. But he shows up in the end and uh, it looks like he's the killer. He gets into this big confrontation with the killer. And it actually looks like, you know, from the police's perspective that he's the murderer. And he ends up getting shot and killed. Um, and the final girl, if you will, if you want to call her that, is actually dispatched. She's actually put in the boiler thing and the killer presumably... Much like an intruder, spoiler alert, I'm hoping most of you have seen Intruder, uh, he's going to get away with it. He just looks like one of the victims, one of the intended victims, uh, should I say. Um, he even knocked himself out at one point during the film to try and throw suspicion off himself. That's obviously for the point of the audience, because he'd never have to kind of prove it to the other people in there. But, you know, it's just for the, for the sake of the twist and uh, near the end. Um, now... 
you know, the guy that we believe is the killer in this film, uh, the creepy guy with the frizzy hair, he's actually trying to help her. He's actually doing everything he can to help her. And uh, I'm like, it got to the point in this film near the end, I'm like, Jesus, she deserves to die. Christ, she's not even hearing him out or anything. He's like, can you open the, you know, I can understand she's worried, she's scared for her life and all that. Um, but even after he's been attacked by her, he's still trying to help her. And I'm like, I mean, he's seriously going for that Samaritan of the Year award. I mean, give this guy a Nobel Peace Prize. Um, but yeah, he, he's trying to help her. He's trying to get her away from the building. He realizes this guy is this guy is the killer and that. And uh, yeah, there's actually um, an arm chopping sequence as well, uh, which again, I think it kind of cuts away after the initial cut. And then we actually see, um, I believe it's his corpse near the end, basically kind of dismembered and that. And of course, we get the kind of killer uh, reveal. Um, I actually think this film, considering this is a really low-budgeted slasher film, I haven't actually looked into the budget of this movie. Um, it's an okay slasher fit, in all honesty. I quite like the setting for it. Um, it certainly does have a pretty high kill count, in all honesty. Um, you could say there might be some pacing. I mean, it's only about 86 minutes long. Um, you could probably say it has some pacing issues kind of here and there and whatever. Um, but I believe also like the film equipment that they actually used, getting back to the film equipment, um, was, was basically either used for documentaries or news programs. As I say, it was initially filmed in 16mm and I think the gore had to be like toned down as well to try and secure an R rating. I mean, you'd watch this film now and you'd think to yourself, why the hell was this banned? Why was this a video nasty? But it was just at a time when so many films were just being basically picked on. You know, and this is certainly one of the tamest, one of the tamer slasher films from the era, in, in comparison. Now, the garroting, you know, it's quite a sadistic death in itself, and the battering across the face, don't get me wrong, it's the gore effects, considering it's a very low budget as well, the gore effects aren't half bad, actually. To be honest, they're quite good, considering and all that. Um, because I do believe that this was very much, I think the film that really inspired this was Friday the 13th. Which, you know, as I've said before, was really the first slasher movie um, to be um, backed by a major studio and that. And I think the original title for this film was actually going to be called um, The Third Night. Now, as I said, this is a very kind of darkly lit film as well, um, which I kind of like. I mean, there are certain moments I wasn't watching this in kind of proper HD quality so the, there were some like little moments kind of here and there where I kind of I, I was kind of struggling to see what was going on um, it was a little difficult to kind of see on occasion um, but also I think the casting director a uh, little fact on this is uh, they couldn't afford to hire one so the casting director is credited as somebody called Wesley Lou David which is actually an almogram of the director and producer's middle names they had no casting. They couldn't actually find a casting director for this movie. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, The Dawn That Drip Blood is well notable for being one of the slasher films that is actually mentioned by Randy very shortly before his death in Scream 2. Uh, he actually mentioned, I believe, four kind of sorority campsite slasher films, uh, one of which being Final Exam, which I'm not actually a fan of, 
the house on sorority row which is actually the best of the bunch hands down to me of the four that he mentions i'm pretty certain he mentions graduation day as well uh released in 81 and uh, he actually mentions this one the dorm that dripped blood otherwise i've always called it the dorm that dripped blood obviously it does have an alternate title um like i said as that being pranks um you know so yeah i think i think with this film overall it's not a bad little slasher movie you know it's not really trying to do anything new or anything like that um there's not really any noteworthy dialogue either in all honesty i mean you know there's for example there's a character very early on in the film her boyfriend his name's escaping me and he goes off for a skiing trip uh you know he has a little in the way of screen time in that and she she's not as serious uh into him as what he is to her and uh i suppose i don't know you could probably look at it that maybe he could be a suspect or whatever um but yeah it's it's, it's an okay slasher flick um i don't really think like it has really kind of a a huge amount going for it um as i said i like the setting i do like the setting i always like them sense uh, films that have a claustrophobic aspect to them you know um a sense of atmosphere and uh, a sense of isolation and this film does have uh, a degree of that you know because basically they're supposed to be the last people um in this dorm and uh yeah i mean there's actually a moment again kind of late on in the film where uh there's a lot of they're, they're skulking around and uh the power there's a power outage and then one of the characters i can't remember what character it is it's one of the males who actually goes to check the out elevator and i'm like why would you be doing that there's clearly a power outage i don't think the elevator is going to work unless you're going to get your magic wand out or whatever um <laughs> But yeah, again, one of the tropes, and I believe the phone lines cut as well, the phone gets dead, or I think that was actually due to the power edges, which of course is one of the big cliches, one of the big tropes in that in these uh, in these kind of movies. So um, yeah, I think overall, not one of the best, definitely not, uh, kind of run of the mill. It's not, The Dorm That Dripped Blood is not one of the really bad slasher films, but it's not one of the really good ones either. It's certainly watchable. Uh, for anyone that is a diehard slasher fan, certainly for completionists, I would say it is a must-see. Um, but yeah, so that's pretty much it for today anyway. And uh, I'll be back again soon to haunt you and torment you. And uh, thanks a lot for everyone that listened. And uh, take care for now.